0: This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and join the Facebook group. I am Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panels tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone: Brian King, Penn State Collegiate All Star Kevin Adams, Ball State Athlete Paul Havicott. We are joined tonight by a former NHL center who played from '83 to '97. He was uh, represented to Canada on the 1987 World Hockey Championships. He's had 40 goals in a season, as well as the clips in the 90-point mark. And he's played on teams with Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Eric Lindros, three of the greatest centers of all time. He's also one of the greatest celebrity golfers of all time. Go check his uh, numbers out on uh, Wikipedia. You'll see how good he is on that. And he's caddy for PGA pros, including John Daly. So, ladies and gentlemen, Dan Quinn joining us tonight. Dan, thank you for being here.
2: Hey, guys. What's happening? Thanks for having me on.
0: Awesome. We're we're glad to have you. Looking forward to this show. We are debating tonight the greatest NHL dynasty of the last 50 years. Hard to believe I've been alive almost that long. 50 years, but that's how far we're going back today. And we're going to start this out with the New York Islanders.
1: All right, the New York Islanders. So their dynasty kind of officially went from 1980 to 1983. They won four Stanley Cups during that period of time. So this team was just dominant at the beginning of that decade. Uh, They won a record 19 consecutive playoff series from 1980 to 1984. Very, very impressive. Uh, They are the most recent North American team from any sport to win four consecutive championships. Um, Before all that went down, you could kind of see this dynasty coming. In 1976 to 77, They were knocked out by the eventual Stanley Cup-winning Canadians, who we'll talk about later tonight. Um, And they were the only team to actually beat the Canadians uh, in any at all during that postseason, both those postseasons, rather. 1978 and 79, they had the best record in the NHL, and Brian Trottier was the uh, Hart Trophy winner. So you could see this dynasty coming, and then it kind of all came together. In 1980 – Um, The Islanders, they finally got that final piece of the puzzle, and we talked about him before, uh, Butch Goring. That's who they acquired. And uh, he was added to a lineup which also had uh, then-future Hall of Famers Dennis Potvin, uh, Clark Gillis, uh, Brian Trottier, uh, goaltender Billy Smith, and the legendary Mike Bossie. And they were all under Hall of Fame coach Al Arbor. And Arbor – he sort of switched his mentality after 1979 season. And he stopped worrying as much about the regular season success. And he really worked on preparing his team for the postseason. Um, and it worked in 1980, 81. Uh, they only lost three games on, en route to the Stanley cup um, in the playoffs in 81, 82, only four. And they won the cup after winning nine straight playoff games in 82, 83, I mean, they pretty much handed the Oilers their rear ends uh, with a sweep in the finals. And uh, we'll talk about the Oilers later on tonight, too. Um, and then they did it again in 83-84 with a gentleman's sweep outscoring those Oilers 25-8. to I mean, yikes. That's, uh, that's pretty good. Uh, so, you know, the early 80s Islanders just was one heck of a dominant dynasty. And
0: yeah, let me ask you about this one. This is my personal feeling. I feel that Ryan Trottier, Mike Bossy are completely underrated. Their names never come up when we're talking all time greats. And the Islanders, this dynasty was amazing, but like, I don't ever hear it mentioned as like the greatest dynasty of all time. If it was the Rangers, would they be? Like, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, you know, there, anybody that played the game, um, obviously knows there's, there was, uh, no question, that's one of the greatest hockey teams of all time. Um, they were your prototypical. You know, you could argue. I, I'd say with Trache, you know, maybe one of the greatest two-way centers of all time. Guys like Steve Eiserman modeled themselves after very, very similar to Sidney Crosby. Uh, could do a little bit of everything, you know, very well. Uh, Dennis Potvin was, um, if not, he's. I mean, he's right up. He's in that argument with with the Bobby Orrs and you know of all time, one of the best defensemen and, and who had some offensive prowess. Uh, I was from Ottawa and watched Dennis, as, you know, as a kid. So I followed that team a little bit because of him as he played for the Ottawa 67s before he we went to, to, the Long, to Long Island. But if you think about some of the, there's some Bobby Nystrom, the character guys they had. I mean, Clark Gillies was a great two-way player, John Tanelli, I can, there was guys inter, inter, uh, interchanged over the four years. And my first year was 83, 84, um, and I, I think, I'm not sure, but I think the Oilers won that, that year in 84, but um, they won four straight. They won 80, 81, 82, 83. Um, but we played the Oilers in a seven game series that year. And I remember a couple of the stories from what having got to talk to Gretz. Well, I'll come back to one of my favorite stories it was Clark Gillies in their first year. They think that they'd be, they had to play Philadelphia. And that was just in the Broad Street Bullies era. And uh, Bobby Nysham took Clark Gillies out to dinner and he says, you know what? Or not playing the Boston Bruins, sorry. He says, you got to, Tomorrow I gotta to take on so and so, but you gotta take on Terry O'Reilly. That's just what you gotta do. So he said, I went to bed thinking I gotta take on Terry O'Reilly. So <laughs> Clark Gillies tells the story the best. So it was in it was in Long Island. It's just, we got going, we dropped our gloves, got after it, and I kind of got the upper hand. And we got to the penalty box. I grabbed a towel and a water ball, and I looked over at him, and he go, I went, oh no, he's gonna to want to do this again. <laughs> he said, you know, and they had, they had another fight a little bit later, and. Um, but there was so many character guys in that team. Butch Goring, uh, I remember. I'm not sure how many guys were there for all four. But and, I, and even Wayne Gretzky says, too, Mike Bossie was probably the purest goal scorer of all time. So you know, put he a, put a, put a, could hardly skate, didn't skate very well. But if you put a puck on his stick, it was in the net. And uh, so to your point, no question, anybody that's played you know, in the last 40 years um, or in my era knows that the Islanders were you know, the greatest, one of the great teams of all time.
0: And uh, Kevin, you're representing the Oilers, who we're going to discuss next. Gretzky, we've heard, had this story on here before about how they lost that finals to the Islanders, and then he had to—he went and saw the Islanders in their locker room, and they weren't partying; they were exhausted. So, I mean, does that tell you what it takes to win the cup?
3: Well, yeah, they say the Stanley Cup is one of the hardest trophies to win in sports. Um, you know, the hockey is a very fast-paced, physical game. They play a lot more games than football. The playoffs are best of seven. Um, it by far is the hardest trophy and takes the most endurance and stamina and, you know, just energy to get through to make it to the finals and
2: win the cup. Yeah. Well, let's you know, move on. A, to those. There, oh, the other thing, just real quick on that, to your point, but that era, the 80s, late 70s, 80s was, I call it, and when I started, and I know the game's great now, but it was barbaric, meaning that um, a lot of times, like if you take the, you're going to talk about the Oilers, but I my first I was talking to you know, my first three years we played them in exhibition twice, played them eight times in the regular season, and then a seven game series in eight, my first year in the league. So you're playing one of the best hockey teams, you know, 17 times, and then you do it again next year, and then you do it next year, next thing you know, you've played them 54 times or 50 times in three years. And what the point I'm getting to is, and coming back to Clark Gillies and, and Bobby Neisham, but games would get out of hand, like the Rangers Islanders would get out of hand. And you lose 5-6-1, those are brawls. You didn't lose. You didn't just go take the last, you know, 30 minutes of the game. And, you know, that's, that's when everything kind of got barbaric. And and the playoffs were the same way. If a, if a game got out of hand, there was going to be some scraps. You were going to lose hard. And, uh, you know, that's t- to your point about how tiring and exhausting and physically demanding it is for those guys to, you know, they're warriors. And, you know, I was lucky enough to get to the finals in 86. But um, I, I, never, I was just a kid, but I didn't realize just how grueling it is to actually win it, to, to, to do the whole thing. to get 16 wins.
0: Old-time hockey, Gordie Howe hockey. <laughs> That's good stuff. Okay. <laughs> Kevin, go ahead. Oilers.
2: Yeah,
3: Oilers, 83 to 90. <clears throat> they won five Stanley Cups in this time period. They won at 84, 85, 87, 88, and in 90. They had six conference titles, six first-place finishes during this run. At 83, 84 season, they stormed through the league. They Got 57 wins for a total of 119 points, which was 14 points ahead of Brian's dynasty team, uh, the Islanders. Uh, the great one, Wayne Gretzky, he doesn't even think that that was their best Oilers team in this time period. He actually thinks that the 86, 87 team, uh, 87 team was the best team uh, in that Oilers run there. Um, Gretzky was there for their first four Stanley Cups, and they clicked the fifth after the trade heard around the world when Gretzky left to go to L.A., um, this would be, like, equivalent to the Bulls winning a title post-Michael Jordan. Um, Messier stepped up, led the team, um, and got them that fifth cup. They had one of the most successful coaches, Glenn Sather. Um, This offense was ridiculous. They led the NHL in goals in five consecutive seasons. Five cups in a seven-year span is amazing. And at this time playoffs were four rounds and they had actually switched to seven best of seven before that they weren't best of seven they were best of five and I think it was the 85 86 season is when they switched the best of seven um, and they would play the first four games in a five night span nowadays they play every other night but they played four games in five nights and had that one day to travel in between uh games two and three that's, that's, that's a lot of hockey in a short period of time. Um, the Oilers knocked off New York, New York Islanders off their throne in 84 to end their dynasty uh, and take over the reins, um, holding theirs for the next seven years. They were a newer team. They entered the league in, in 80. Gretzky took the league by storm. He won seven uh, straight Art Ross trophies, eight straight Hart trophies, as well as two Conn trophies. Sportsstore.com. Listed, this dynasty is the best in NHL history at number one. Four of the 80s Oilers teams are listed in the 20th, 20 greatest NHL teams of all time, voted by the fans during the league's 100th anniversary. This is the best dynasty in NHL history.
0: So, Dan, you were part of the Calgary Flames. Flames Flames-Oilers rivalry was historic in the 80s. How do you guys take down the powerhouse that was the Edmonton Oilers?
2: So, I got my again, I was 18, 83, 84. Uh, we played them in a seven-game series. You know, the second round, we played a five-game series, as you just pointed out. Um, and then we played the others, you know, like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday travel, Sunday, Monday. It was just really bang, bang. Then went seven games, and it was uh, – they were just getting – they were nervous, you know, in the seventh game. But that was a big win for them to beat us because if they'd have lost, you know, they had not won a cup in that, that group. Uh, but for us to take them to seven – Fast forward two years later, we took them, we beat them in 86, though so the year that, that, that they didn't win in that 80-45, 86 Calgary, we beat them in uh, seven games. But, you know, look, they were uh, clearly had much more star power. Calgary had, we had great depth and some character players, but, you know, you, you got to mention Grant Fear was, they used to tap him on the pads and say, see you after the game. You know, he was one of their most, and then they had Andy Moog to come in after him. So that was, you know, Andy played a lot of key games for them in the, in those playoff runs, but... You know they had high scoring defenseman of all time and Paul Coffey and and uh, you know Wayne and Yari and, and Messier and Anderson. I mean it was and to your, to the comment about what team was the best. I know when the one when they had Kenny Lindsman and uh, or Krushelnyski. They you know they added a few guys as as the years went on. But I think the one that Gretz said was when Kent Nielsen got there that gave them so much more um, uh, offensive stability and and he was very skilled. So but yeah they could do it always and 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 both teams we just talked about. If you go back to looking at way hockey was, you had your top line was usually a, a good score, right winger, left arm, and then the second line was similar but could do both ways. Then you had a checking line sort of as a third line, and then you had your role players as a fourth line. And both teams were very similar in that structure. You know, Trache, Basse, Curry, Gretzky. You know, you could go right down with Clark Gillies, and, but Wayne and you Nileh know, would play sometimes with them, Jaroslav Puzar. Uh, Asatikinen got there and played some key, key roles for them. So... It's – that's the way – and then Messi and Anderson were kind of always together and they could play with Kent Nielsen or Khrushchev Niski, and that was a, you know, second line was just as good as anybody's first line. So, to your point, they were two of the greatest teams back-to-back and they won, what, eight of nine Stanley Cups in the 80s?
0: The Oilers were the first team to really start winning with players from other countries other than Canada too. You know, they had the – they had Curry with Swede, I believe, and, of course, some Russians, so –
2: Curry's Finnish, but this Finnish, there you go, yep. So. so it was Esa in? he was a fan. Yep. Um, but, yeah, Jaroslav Puzar, they had a check. So, yeah, they were the first ones, you're right, with a couple of foreigners, not North North, not North, American. Paul, is this the team we're talking
0: about tonight that has the biggest stars? I mean, it's definitely yeah. an
4: advantage. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I think, Kevin, it's impressive, five Stanley Cups. But when I was looking at, you know, compared to Brian's team and my team, you can name the most stars from the Oilers, and that's that could contribute why they had the most amount of cups in the smaller amount of time. Could be. So we're going to move on to a team that I think could stop
0: the Oilers because if the Oilers had one weakness, it was losing to a hot goaltender. So let's move on to the Montreal Canadiens. This dynasty is from 75 to 79. We could throw in 73. The Canadiens did win the Stanley Cup in 73, which gave them gives them five and seven years, which matches Kevin's Oilers. But um, this was the first team to do four straight Stanley Cups. They did that in 76, 77, 78, 79. Um, During that time period, they only lost three games in the Stanley Cup finals. So they won 4-0, 4-0, 4-2, and 4-1. That is very impressive. These guys were right before the Islanders took over in their dynasty. It starts with the coach, greatest coach in NHL history. Scotty Bowman, I don't think there's an argument in that 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 can be made. His win total is beyond anyone. He won cups in Detroit, won a cup in Pittsburgh. it has been all over the map. But uh, just to talk about their dominance here, not just in the playoffs, but in 76, 127 points plus 163. 77, 132 points plus 216. 78, 129 points, plus 176, and 79, 115 points, plus 133. So they finished first in all four years, um, in, in not just in their division, but in the NHL. They're, that last year, they were second overall in the NHL, but still first in their conference. So, um, But their point seven eight six win percentage, that's most of any dynasty um, in NHL history when we're looking at the dynasty years. And no one even comes close. The Oilers were only at 648. So these guys dominated during the regular season too. Now everyone will say, oh, okay, well, there was only about 16 teams at that time, but there was only 21 teams during Brian and, and Kevin's years. So, but here's how you're going to beat the Oilers because I feel like I got to prove I can beat the Oilers and Islanders tonight. Ken Dryden in goal, Hall of Fame goalie, wins the Vesna all four years of those cups. And then you got, you got guys like Guy LaFleur, Pete Milalovich, Jackson Lemay, Doug Jarvis, Larry Robinson, can shut down fence, can shut down Gretzky, and Bob Ganey. Um, Hockeywriters.com did a, a, a tournament of brackets of dynasties in NHL history. This Montreal Canadiens dynasty won that. They took out the Islanders and the Oilers uh, going through that bracket. So as I mentioned earlier, you got to win with goaltending. So I'm making my main point here tonight is Ken Dryden. I mentioned the four Vesnas. Four-time first-team All-Star during that time. His save percentage, keep in mind, this is the 1970s. His save percentage was 920. In today's NHL, that's like 970. That That's how good that was back then. 28 shutouts in those four years and a 2.12 goals against average, where the league's goal against average was probably around 4.0 at that time. So that is very impressive. No goalie we're discussing tonight matches that. I know Grant Fuhr is a Hall of Famer. Milly Smith's a great goalie as well, but they're not matching Ken Dryden numbers. So we know the Oilers can be beat by a hot goalie. It happened with, when the Kings did it to them. When you had, uh, what was that, 82-83, Kings took them out. And it happened, Mike Vernon's beating them. And then Ron Hextall in the 87 finals nearly won that series himself uh, against the Oilers. So took them to all seven games. It, it can be done. Dan, I know this is a little bit before your time, Perry, but you did grow up in Canada. Uh, so, what are your thoughts on this uh, Montreal Canadiens team, and of course, the head coach Scotty Bowman?
2: Yeah, so I was born in I was lived in Ottawa when I was uh, born in '65. So, you know, vividly remember watching the Habs. Basically, my formative years. Going to the forum a few times, saw them live. The only I never went to Toronto. I went to Montreal a couple times. Um, but obviously Ken Dryden, but I always said that that team had three of the, the best defensemen ever to play. Guy Point, Serge Savard, and uh, Larry Robinson. Um, just phenomenal. They just, they could collapse. They stopped everybody. And they, they stopped a lot of good players. You know, the, the Bobby Orr, the Bruins, they, they had to beat a lot of good teams. They had to beat those Philadelphia Flyers, play tough. Again, they had that same model with offensive first line, with, you know, three good two-way second line, checking lines. You mentioned Bob Gainey. Doug Risebro who up playing with in Calgary, he got broken in when that, in that four-year, five-year stretch. But um, Ken Dryden was their MVP, no question.
0: Brian, I'm going to ask you because I know you've said this to me before. You always say the Canadians had an advantage because of the way the rules were back in back in the day in the NHL and the Canadians getting to pick first and all that type of stuff. What What are your thoughts on that? Does that Does that make it like an unfair advantage?
1: I mean, it's something I kind of taken into consideration. But when I look at this period of this span of time, though, for the Canadians, man, it was just they were so dominant. Um, you know, I was looking at like the the goals allowed for each of these teams that we're talking about in each of these seasons. I mean, three out of the four seasons, Montreal only g- gave up fewer than two hundred goals, and you know, and no other team uh, even t- you know even touched that. So it's like, I mean. I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I think they could shut down, you know, the the hottest scorers uh, in a series.
0: We'll we'll see if that comes true when we move to our vote. Let's move to our final team tonight, the Detroit Red Wings.
4: Okay, so, yeah, I mean, it's tough competition. The least amount of Stanley Cups is four. Uh, Kevin's team had five. Mike, your team is unstoppable. Four in a row is unbelievable, but – Is that a dynasty because of time frame or is that a dynasty because of your goalie? The Red Wings, this is a well-oiled scoring machine that spans over 13 seasons, 12 if you discount the lockout season. There have been dynasties in each sport, but this one's equipped and kind of differentiated by superior scoring and it's done under total, you know, three different totally different uh, coaches. There's two different captains. They have 11 seasons with over 250 goals, nine first-place finishes, and the worst they finish in the division is second over this time frame. They got four total Stanley Cups. They did have a repeat, uh, and they were all over different teams. So it kind of starts under who we've been talking about with Scotty Bowman in the 95-96 season. They finished first in the Central Division Uh, But then they lose in the conference finals to Colorado. But then it takes off from there. And sort of what I think is their statistically worst season, 96-97, they're second in the division, sixth in the NHL with 253 goals, but they go on to win the Stanley Cup over the Flyers. Um, In 97-98, second-place finish, second in the NHL with 250 goals, Stanley Cup victory over the Capitals. And then it kind of goes from there, their first, second, first, second, but it's like – We get to the 2001-2002, first in the Central, second in the NHL with 251 goals. They win their third Stanley Cup over the Hurricanes. Now we go on to a different coach. Dave Lewis is now the coach. Iserman is still the captain. He's been the captain this whole time. So in 2002-2003, first place finish. You know, they don't even skip a beat. Uh, NHL leading 269 goals, lost in the conference quarterfinals to the Mighty Ducks. And so after the lockout season 0405, now we have Mike Babcock as the coach. Eisenman is still the captain. 2005-2006, first place finish, 305 goals, second in the NHL, uh, lost in the conference quarterfinals to the Oilers. And after this season, we go to Nicholas Lidstrom as the captain. And so the next Stanley Cup uh, championship for them is 2007-2008. They have 257 goals, third in the NHL but you're talking about a team that over whether you want to call it 13 or 12 years, they made the playoffs every year, three different coaches, two different captains, all but two years leading the NHL in goals. I don't even really get to cover the stars here yet based on my time because I'm trying to keep it short, but yeah, you have Eiserman, Lidstrom, and you have uh, Fedorov, but uh, they have a ton of team awards, 11 total Stanley Cups in their history, six Western Conference championships. This is a team that had it for the length of time, and that's, in my opinion, what I consider the true meaning
0: of a dynasty. So I love that you brought that up. We're going from Iserman and Fedorov to Zetterberg and Datsuk. That's a, that's a good, good replacement. When we look at the other dynasties tonight, the Oilers, they fell apart after that. The Islanders, Lafontaine kept them in the playoffs for a few years. M- my Canadians, they, once they got Patrick Wall, they got good again too. But your dynasty, Paul, Starts in the mid '90s and goes all the way to the what 2010, basically 2009 when they lost the finals to the Penguins. There, so the only mainstay is Lindstrom, Dan Nicholas Lindstrom, one of the greatest of all times. But how impressive is that to keep a dynasty going that long and replace the players that made it?
2: You know exactly. Lindstrom was phenomenal, and you had a couple of different goalies had runs there. I think Mike Vernon and Dominic Hasek, I, I believe, um, but. You know, Steve Steve and I grew up we're in the same draft in 83 and, and same junior draft in 81, and we knew each other from Ottawa. So I've known Steve uh, a long time. So he he grew into – he struggled their first five, six, seven years. But, you know, they, they were a good team, but they really changed when Fedorov got there, I think, and, and Lidstrom. And then they, uh, they were the first one to have those five Russians on the ice all at one time when they had Fedorov and Igor Larionov. So they really figured a way to, um, I think – make that an attractive home for Russians. And you mentioned Zetterberg, well, he's, he's sweet, but the, uh, Datsuk, uh, they, they kept picking off really the best Russians and, and filtered them into their lineup and, and knew how to teach them and, sh- and keep them happy. And, you know, they didn't, not, not all of them did well in other cities when they first started coming over in the 90s. So uh, I think when Scotty Bowman and them figured out, let them play the way they want to play and not, you know, into the North American style. And that sort of, uh, you know, helped Detroit get into to the run that they got on.
0: Brian, you represented the the Russian Five when we did our Greatest Line of the '90s show. How
1: how do you get get through those guys? <laughs> well, it didn't happen very often, that's for sure. I mean, you you had to get hot, you had to have the right kind of game plan, and 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 they were still going to give you a hard time. I mean, those guys were just so disciplined. They were, they, their chemistry was amazing. Um, yeah, you really definitely had a, a a tall task trying to take those guys on.
0: And Kevin, I'll just ask you real quick because you represented the Detroit Red Wings in our '90s show and our '2000s show, greatest cup winners. You got Vernon Hasek and Chris Osgood, three different goalies winning cups during this dynasty. Who who would you say was the best during that that time period? I know Hasek's probably the best goalie overall, but he was only with Detroit a short time.
3: Um, <laughs> that's a tough question. Um. All three goalies, I mean, they were key in the Red Wings' success. Um, like you said, Hasek by far is the best of the three if you look at career stats. Um, but I think Osgood, Osgood was there the longest. I think he kept the stability. Um, I, I'd have to go with Osgood out of those three.
0: We always come to you when we talk Detroit Red Wings because nobody <laughs> likes them more than you than I know of. So. <laughs> All right, let's go for him. <laughs> Let's move into our vote tonight, and uh, Paul, you're in my upper corner tonight, so we'll start with you.
4: Okay, so I can't go for my own, and I I guess I gotta say that even though I think my time frame is the longest, what you talked about with Montreal, it's hard to go back to back, but to go back to back to back to back, it's insane. So I would go with yours. Okay, Kevin. I love
3: Detroit, but Detroit was multiple all-star teams put together, whereas our teams were the same core group of players winning all those championships. Um, but the Canadians, I don't think they faced as tough competition as our teams in the 80s. You had one player over a 1,000 points in the 70s. The 80s Oilers had four players in the top six at about 1,000 points or higher. Um, so I feel that the competition was tougher in the 80s, so I'm going to have to go with the Islanders. We
0: played defense in the 70s. That's the difference.
1: <laughs> Brian, go ahead. Well, I mean, as everybody knows, I'm a huge football fan. And when I look at these dynasties, it kind of reminds me of the of the NFL dynasties. I mean, you know, the the Packers, the, the Niners, the Cowboys. And then you get down to the Red Wings, they're like the Patriots. They're the team that's reloaded. And they've and they've kept that thing going for so many years. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Red Wings just because of longevity and, and how hard it is to you know to, to plug new, new pieces in there year after year.
4: Yeah, Kevin, you're arguing stars. I mean, the Red Wings did it with plug and play. They kept doing it no matter who they co- were coach and who the captain was. You're just hate voting. You're hate voting on I love me.
3: The Red Wings. Okay. They had multiple all star teams put together.
0: Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in my vote here, and and I don't. We don't have many shows where we all vote for a different team. Um, I'm shocked by this tonight. I'm taking the Oilers because of that two-headed monster of Gretzky and Messier. Even if Larry Robinson shuts down Gretzky, line two is coming at you with Messier. I know the Islanders did beat them, but the Oilers got the revenge. They they swept the Islanders, I believe, uh, in their first cup victory. So that was really kind of a 50-50 split. So if I'm going between the Isles and the Oilers, I'm giving it to the Oilers because they got that one extra cup. So, Dan, the pressure is on you then because every team has one vote. Who are you taking?
2: <laughs> well, you know, I'd, I'd work my way. Uh, I think the three that dominated the 70s and 80s are, you know, to, coming back to that was a core group of that's a dynasty because it was so, there was a few moving parts, but the core players never really differed. So I kind of hate to say it, but I would have Detroit in that dynasty fourth of the of the four. Um, if you gave me the other criteria, I, I guess you would look at is who did they beat? Who did they play against? Um, and, and I can only speak to, you know, Montreal uh, was just so much better than everybody. Their regular season stats show that. They had players that, you know, they talked about their development. They had players, they had a fifth line, a sixth line that was just waiting in the wings and they just kept coming every year because they were able to get the <laughs> French Canadians. So, um, so I'm going to go, so I probably it would be hard to say they're not the best hockey team of all time, but because I played in the 80s, I'm going to be favorite. I can give you this about the Oilers. In 84-5, um, we played uh, – we lost to Winnipeg in the first round. But we were uh, – Edmonton was first overall. Uh, Winnipeg was second overall. And we were th- – sorry, we were thir- first, third, and fourth overall all in the Old Smythe division. And two of us were going to be out in the first two rounds. And that's how that's how it went. So it was – you know, it was a pretty good division back then. You know, uh, obviously, Calgary, Oilers, and then the, the Dale Chuck Winnipeg Jets. But I can't I can't go against who I think the greatest ambassador in history of hockey and, and Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messi, who was probably the greatest two-way player that still doesn't get the recognition. All of us have played against him. I knew where he was on the ice. You know, he, he could match up. I think the depth of that, Anderson, and they could play any way you want. You want to hit, you want to play fast, whatever you want to do. We can want to score you. Um, I, I, so I have, my vote goes with the Oilers.
0: Well, that's a win for Kevin tonight. I know that'll make him happy. He seems to be the one who keeps track of the scores on this show. (laughs) So we're going to give a shout out real quick to the two other dynasties that just missed today. That's the Blackhawks and Penguins of the 2000s. Both of them picked up three cups during their time period. So good teams. Uh, You know, they both still have some of their core together. They could pick up another one here in the the 2020s. It's possible. So we'll see. Let's move into our Q&A. Kevin, you got the
3: win. You get first question. Yeah, so you were uh, drafted 13th uh, overall in 83 by Calgary. Um, how was the, the draft moment and was there a specific team that you you were hoping for or were you happy with with Calgary there?
2: Well, this obviously, this was the 80s and they didn't have this the depth of scouting and, and whatnot and you just kind of, they went off the rankings. But I did uh, I did interview with Calgary and I also interviewed with the Washington Capitals who were picking 14th. Uh, i I was certain I could go to I was no, I'm not going to go past 14th I knew Washington would take me if I was available they had a uh, you know, they were looking for a skilled kind of playmaking power play kind of guy and uh, I remember when they interviewed me the, the, the scout asked me at a McDonald's in Brockville Ontario uh, <laughs> what uh, why do they only have nine power play goals I said well you don't count all the assists and I had like 52 assists on the power play so that was kind of where the, when I, and that was the end of the interview and so Calgary showed me a little interest, not as much. I kind of wanted to go. The Rangers picked 12th. I was kind of thinking that would be a pretty cool place to go, but uh, I couldn't have went to a better franchise. Calgary is a great, you know, they were only in their second or third year in Calgary for having moved from Atlanta. Um, a lot of depth, tons of good hockey players. Luckily, I got, you know, get up there, and almost got a point a game and, the, you know, they called me back up after after training camp. And, um, you know, it was three, three and a half, a really good years. So Cal- Calgary is a great city. Uh, as far as the draft itself, uh, I was in Montreal at the old the old Montreal Forum. I I remember all of it. I remember being in the seats. I remember walking down meeting the, the, the guys. I remember going out after the game, uh, after the draft. And, and and then the next day, Steve Eichmann and I, I mentioned we're friends. We went to get our first sticks made at the in the Victoriaville, which was, the company was called Titan. You remember Gretzky uses Titan. So we've got our own pattern. It was the that was the coolest thing of the draft.
0: Nothing wrong with having a meeting at McDonald's. I met my wife at McDonald's. That's awesome. I love
4: that. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, go ahead. I'm a big fan of this guy because he's flawed and very human. And I saw in your, when I was researching you, that you, I think, caddied for him at one point. But uh, any uh, good John Daly story that you'd want to share to lighten up this tension between Kevin and I because I think I got ripped.
2: <laughs> well, John Daly, so the story is um, his, his, his manager is a friend of mine named Bud Martin out of Pittsburgh. And when I got out of hockey in 97, he helped me get in a couple nationwide tournaments, but, um, and a tournament in, in Erie, Pennsylvania. And I got paired with John uh, in, in, I think it was July of 97. And he had a week off after, it was a Monday, Tuesday event. And uh, he had just been in a little bit of a situation back in March at the Players' Championship and um, had not, so he was not drinking or anything. So we, uh, we ended up spent about four or five days together, played some golf. Very, you know, he's got a massive heart, massive personality, Tip $200, 300 to everybody had just parked his car um, his his talent was beyond as anybody will ever know, but you know obviously because of you know, some of the stuff he, he did off the course or his work ethic, but he he could hit golf shots. He had great touch, great feel. Um, I'm still friendly with him. I text him still to this day. He's uh, you know just just one of those guys, very unique character in a game of perfect people. He was uh, he was a great great person to watch, and he had a great career. He's he's still playing pretty decent at times on the Champions Tour. Uh, he's got a son that's in here down here in Florida going to school is a pretty good player. Um, but yeah, it was it was cool to be around him.
4: I imagine when he's lining up for a drive and he really connects, that's gotta be a sight to behold him getting a hold of one.
2: Yeah, and he was, you know, longer than anybody. They were just starting to get longer, but he had the length of the swing and the equipment wasn't the same as it is now. But uh, no, well, he he could he could flush it and he, he was but he he could do everything. I mean, he had great touch, great little chip shots, putting everything he could do um, you know, back in the in the nineties and hence he won two two majors.
1: Right. Okay, uh, Dan. For for about a ten year span, you had the only successful penalty shot in LA Kings history. So let's go back to March twenty first, nineteen ninety five. What do you remember about that game and about that shot?
2: Well, I'll tell you. It, it was. It used to be on YouTube, and somebody took it off like two years ago. I've been watching it, showing to all my people that friends of. I used to be pretty good, but. Um, <laughs> If you guys can find it again, I don't know where somebody took it off YouTube. So the, the owner of this took it off. But um, the story was it was actually a pretty big game in the strike shortened year for playoffs um, with Anaheim. And I remember the if you could see the video, it was the coolest thing. Barry Melrose, for some reason, he had to he could pick any player on the team. And that team had, you know, Tony Granado, Wayne Gretzky, Yari Curry, you know, and <clears throat> Rick Tockett. And he just right away said Dan Quinn, Quinner, you go. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, so you get out there and you say, all right, eat or be eaten. And uh, the coolest thing is I went in there and I buried it and, and came back to the bench. And I got on that video that I'm talking about, you can see Wayne Bensky tap you on the ass since she took the penalty shot that you were picked over him to take. <laughs> so it was pretty cool. But it was uh, it was fun. It was the only one I ever got to take, but it was uh, it was really cool and it was fun to, to pull it off.
0: So I'm going to take you back to the '89 playoffs. Um... Flyers-Penguins series. You were part of the Pittsburgh Penguins at that time. So when we had Ken Regan on, he gave us uh, the Flyers take on the Ron Hextall chasing down Robbie Brown after I believe the, I don't know if it was the seventh or eighth goal that, that point scored. Um, so what were you guys thinking on the Penguins bench when, when that happened? I mean, was it as funny to you guys as it was to the Flyers? And And tell us about that game Mario just went off.
2: Yeah, so there was you know, if you look at the video, Ron Hextel had to go by me. I went to give Robbie a hug and he went, so that was me. He went past. So if you ever see that video, I was going to give him congratulations for a goal and he starts taking off. I go, what's going on? And there's Hextel got the stick out like a machete. But, um, you know, that was, as I look back in my career, that was, uh that was Mario's first playoffs. We, we, we swept the Rangers. We had a pretty good team, uh, a really good team actually. And, and we should have beat Philly. We lost, uh, uh, game six at Philly and, and then game seven back in our building. <clears throat> we were up 3-2. And, you know, just some, some we're just Kenny, Kenny Rega came in, stood on his head, played great in game seven. You know, we, they didn't have Hexy, And uh, just we just couldn't get a, get the, the momentum of that game. And that's, that was the shame of it because I think we could have we gone further. I think um, that, that year was kind of wide open to win the Stanley Cup. There was no true great teams that particular year. I mean, obviously, Pittsburgh became great, you know, two years later. Um, winning a couple, but uh, yeah, it was very, very shot, very, very fun, fun to be in a seven game series, but it sucked to be on the losing side.
0: One more each,
4: guys. Pull out your
0: best question, Paul. Go ahead.
4: So you had a, I think, great career in hockey, and if and you're you're obviously good at golf, if you know then what you know now, and you could do the same career in golf as you did in hockey, you still choose in hockey.
2: Well. I had, I was actually offered a couple of scholarships when I was 15, 16 at golf, not into, I think, New Mexico or a couple of schools, but you know, that was just never a, a Canadian until Mike, Weir really a Canadian never looked at playing professional golf. You know, we're up, up in the snow half the year, three quarters of the year playing hockey hockey. I was first overall pick in junior at 16 and then the age 18 in the NHL. So, um, Would I have loved to have not been torn to have the two sports? You know, that would have been cool. But hockey was, you know, I'm I'm telling my son, he lives down here in Florida, you know, you got to, you go with what the demographic you're born in, you know. So there's not a lot of hockey players in Australia. There's a lot of hockey players in Canada.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Brian. Um, In in the uh, 86-87 season, early on, you get dealt to the Penguins from the Calgary Flames. what was going through your mind whenever you heard the news?
2: Well, to be honest, I was i was kind of, you know, uh, I, I ended up getting Pittsburgh and I called it home for 15 years, so it was a great thing. You know, I, I felt that something was up. They had, a, again, they had a, I wasn't playing great. I wasn't playing a lot after leading the team in the playoffs and leading the team of scoring the year before. Signed a nice deal. It was in my fourth season. I think they were getting impatient. I was getting impatient with the uh, inconsistency of, of how I was used. Some days I killed penalties, some days I did, and some, you know, I was always on the power play. Some, you know, just, it just was never really a cement line and it was just starting to boil over. So I was happy to to, to look onto a new chance. And, you know, I got to Pittsburgh. There was a big difference from Calgary. You know, as I said to somebody, you know, I got picked up, I I take a yellow cab to the Green Tree uh, Holiday Inn. That's where they put me up. Nobody met me at the airport. (laughs) And uh, you go down to practice the next morning in a cab with your equipment. And uh, we flew to New Jersey the next night. So, um but as it as it evolved you know with um as pittsburgh evolved when we got myself who had been in a really successful organization it really helped mario and then especially helped when paul coffee got there uh paul had been with the Oilers and won a couple cups but you know just how things are done and, and and um you know mario i always say if you look at the uh you want to look at a highlight reel of the 87 canada cup there's 11 minute youtube video of him and wayne gretzky if you ever want to look at something when the two of them played together um the highlights are phenomenal but that that whole era of him, Mark, Mark Messi being around him and, and Mario, that he came back to the camp and, and, you know, sort of became the the greatest player. You know, I think I ever saw play hockey. Wayne had the greatest career. Don't get me wrong. This, I always put the three of them with Bobby Orr up there, but um, you know, Mario when he was on six foot five, 225 pounds, you know, Physically fit when he wasn't sore. There was nothing. I mean, he could still play. he, he lead the league in scoring by 30 points if he's still playing with these rules because he got, they water skied behind him half the time. So, but I, anyways, I love Pittsburgh and it was, I love Calgary. I was lucky those first two years. I was brokenhearted when I got traded from Pittsburgh. So that was a different one. But the, the first one was you, know, you just kind of go with the flow and it's a part of the game.
3: Kevin. Uh, and I, I Googled your uh, penalty shot. So there's a couple places you can find it. Um, it looks like the King's Story in. Uh, has it on Twitter and Facebook. So, looks like you went top shelf. That was a pretty nice shot. (laughs) Um, but so, yeah, you played on on Pittsburgh and Philly. So, you've been on both sides of that rivalry. Um, and it was kind of in the heart, uh, early 90s, you know, when we had a lot of heat uh, between the two. Um, and it continues to today. But, what was that rivalry to you on both sides?
2: Well, I was there. I did two stints with the Flyers. The first stint was, uh, if you remember, they it was a little bit of a management management. Question mark, I think they, they hired, I forget his name, but um, Jay Schneider had become president for a year or two and he hired this, Russ Farwell, I believe his name was, the GM and Ken Hitchcock was in there. And it just was a little bit of, uh, it didn't feel like Flyers was when I came back to play in the Lindris team. You know, that was, uh, everything had kind of been reestablished. They were proud. Um, the team that I was on with the 91-92, Bro- Roddy Brindmore and I got traded there, but it was completely different, the second stint. And, uh, but Philly, we lived in South Jersey, so we didn't see the city of Philadelphia that much because, you, you know, we practiced in Voorhees and the airport was over there and the old spectrum, you just come across the bridge. But I love playing there too. That was a great place. There's great hockey fans. Um, expected a lot out of you, but they were very loyal and uh, they knew the game, so it was fun. And it was a lot of easier to, a lot of travel. You just take the bus down to Washington or you bust up to Long Island or Jersey or to the Madison Square. So it was, it was really it was a great spot to play as far as travel and everything, so.
0: So we'll get you out of here with this. Uh, I'm going to kind of make it a two-parter, but uh, you played for, when you were in Calgary, you played for the great Badger, Coach Bob Johnson. I mean, tell us about his coaching style. We've heard a lot of stories from Penguins players, but never someone from before the Penguins who played with them on Calgary. And then you got to finish your career in Ottawa. Well, not finish your career, but you played for the Ottawa Senators where you were born. So what did that mean to you get to play for your hometown team?
2: Sure, I'll, um, well, we'll start with the, with the latter. You know, I was – uh signed as – I did a thing well I came back from Europe after a contract year or whatever, and I signed – and they screwed me over with the contract, so I went to L.A. Then then following year, they signed me, and that was a strike year. I played decent in L.A., but I, I really was kind of looking forward to playing in Ottawa. And, <clears throat> and uh got off to a good start, had a six-point game in Tampa over in your place. Uh, we had a decent team. but They had a contract dispute with the guy that I wanted to play with, Alexi Ash, and he was not there. And then they um, – I broke my hand about seven, eight, 10 games in. And uh, two guys are still coaching in the game today, which is, if you can believe it, got fired. Rick Rick Bonus was head coach in the Lane Vino. And they're still working in the game. What is it? 25 years later, 26 years later. And uh, that was a big part of me signing back as a free agent to go play with them, play for them. And then they, you know, Ottawa went into a spiral. So it wasn't the the last, it was only, it was short-lived, but it wasn't, it was fun, but not as fun as it was. was, I was hoping to be for a couple, three years to finish my career there. When I got drafted by Calgary, you know, Badger was an American. I was a cocky OHL Canadian kid. So he, uh, you know, long hair and and so on and so forth. And I always say this. So Badger knew more about hockey, innovative. Uh, we had great power plays. Some was still the highest scoring power plays of all time, percentage-wise. Same with Pittsburgh. We had the best, you know, and I took a lot of the stuff that I learned in, in Calgary from him. Um, but I, you know, for me, he struggled with talented players, uh, in his early, he might he, he matured as a coach as after he got let, let go by Calgary and went to Pittsburgh, but he struggled with Kent Nielsen. He, you know, he struggled with myself, guys that were kind of, you know, expected to score, but, you know, don't, sometimes cheated on, on certain areas, you know, you know, as far as how did, how they did it and anticipating. And, um, Badger was kind of like, everybody does this, you go here. So, but he was, uh. You know, he, he came into the his. In fairness to him, when he came to Calgary, he came against a pretty tough team—the team that we just voted a dynasty. He had to beat the Oilers and figure that out every year.
0: Great coach, I think you should be in the Hall of Fame, but I, I'm obviously biased. So, <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Dan Quinn, joining us tonight. Uh, I'm hoping maybe we get you again on some time to do a golf debate because uh, we do all sports on this show. So, we'll have to see if we can I'm work that out at, in the future. Pretty
2: good at the history of golf. Happy to happy to come back on.
0: Excellent. Remember, everybody hit subscribe on, gosh, every channel we're on and
3: uh, get that membership total skyrocketing. We appreciate it. Everyone have a good night.